it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan. It's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Mark Thiessen's going to be here in a matter of moments. And Carly Shimkus coming up at the bottom of the hour. We're also following a story of these Gilgo murders, these Gilgo Beach murders. The whole country's been watching as bodies were found. Uh, one, some hooker was trying to escape from a, uh, from a situation. He got stuck in the mud and died. They go to, to fish her out, and it turns out they find a bunch of bodies 10 years ago. They never su- find out who the serial killer is until today. Uh, they find him on Massapequa, Long Island. The arrest has been made on Michigan Avenue and First. We're seeing live shots of it now. These are the type of things you never think are going to be solved, uh, but they are, and they got the guy. And we're finding out more and more information, and we'll follow it. But first, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We don't own a private jet. I don't own a private jet. I personally have never owned a private jet. And obviously, it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. Just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. Well, it just shows hypocrisy. What does he not get? The green ruse revealed. The climate czar John Kerry loses his mind when called out for being a hypocrite. And more and more than that, as we examine this terrible politician and his misled mission. Number two. That guy is doing better in this space than and almost and, than any of us yeah. around this table could do with this. At, at, yeah, I'll tell you that. that. The, the economic news of this week and inflation. I that's, know. A, that's a pretty good double. Win, win, Biden. win, Jen. And I'm um, looking like what he is, a statesman on the world stage. Yeah, so much winning and just like exhausted by all of the winning. Uh, uh, can you believe that this is the same country and guy we're talking about? So much winning. 2024, Joe's done nothing, uh, anything to make his party think he can actually run and win a re-election, except for on one morning show on another network. And the earth might be shifting under his feet uh, uneasily. It looks as though many people on the left, not waiting for Joe to ramp up, are looking for other candidates. We'll discuss that as Ron DeSantis backers get restless and Trump gains steam while Senator Tim Scott makes gains. Number one. Every time we see something at the White House that has happened that's unsavory or perhaps corrupt or illegal, uh, the White House always seems to lie about it and try to cover it up. And no one ever gets caught. The most uh, trained law enforcement uh, security agents on the planet can't figure this out. It's very frustrating. Nancy Mace, after getting briefed about why in 10 days they can't solve a cocaine problem at the in the White House. We did learn something new, that this wasn't the first illegal drug in the White House. There were three, three separate incidents. And let's compare that to the Hunter investigation, which just doesn't seem to have an end. Just a lot of whistleblowers and eyewitnesses. Mark Thiessen joins us now, chief uh, speechwriter for George W. Bush, Fox News contributor. Knows the White House quite well. Washington Post columnist, best-selling author. Mark, can you believe we closed this case in 10 days? Uh, it's unbelievable. You know, it's funny. There seems to be like a pattern here. Like they, they can't find the Supreme Court leaker. <laughs> they can't figure out who brought like a bag of white powder into the White House. Can you imagine if it had been anthrax instead of cocaine? I mean, do you think they would have shut down the investigation this quickly? 
No, of course not. I mean, look, and here's the thing. So they they start out saying it was in the library. Then they say it was up in the uh, in the in the end, the ceremonial entrance to the West Wing where the where the Marine guards are. And then it turns out it was down at the entrance on West Executive Avenue. I went through that doorway every day for six years. Okay, I know that area like the back of my hand. There, there's. To get there, uh, if you're a visitor, like they, Karine Jean-Pierre is strongly implied this was some kind of a visitor or a guest in the White House, you, you can't just walk up to West Executive Avenue. It's a closed street inside the White House complex. It's used for parking for senior staff. To get there, you first have to go through Secret Service screening on Lafayette Square. You go through this booth where they've got they've got you know magnetometers, they've got uh, X-ray machine, they have radiological devices, they have dogs. You know that that's a pretty intense. That makes the TSA look like you know like a, a walk in the park. And who the hell would bring cocaine through that? <laughs> what kind of person would put that in their bag and have the chance of getting caught by 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 Secret Service to do that? So. I just find it so unlikely that it would be just a visitor for someone outside the White House. And that, that people who have to go through that are outside visitors or guests of the White House and regular staff who uh, – who, When you say uh, outside you know, visitors, they have to be a guest, right? Can I just come be, through? They have it? to be invited in. And by the way, also, it's, to get invited in, you have to give your Social Security number if you're a guest of a White House staffer. And they do a criminal background check on you before you come in. So if you had drug offenses, that would come up and you would be barred from entering into the White House. We, we actually had uh, people that we had – when I was at the White House, there were literally people that were being invited in for like the State of the Union who we turned out we couldn't let in because they had criminal records. Because the background check came out. So everybody who comes in, you give your social security number, the Secret Service runs a background check on you. So if you have drug offenses, you're probably not going to get into the approved to come into the White House complex to begin with. And then you, you bring a bag of white powder through a Secret Service screening? I mean, you've got to be kidding me. And, and if somebody did do that and it got through – that's a huge issue for security of the White House. I mean, you could if you could bring a, a, ba a baggie of uh, of cocaine through the Secret Service screening, that means you can bring up anthrax through. That means you can bring all sorts of things through that that could be dangerous. That's a national security risk. So I find it unlikely that it was somebody who went through there. Though it's possible that that got through. So who can get to that West Exec entrance? That doesn't have to go through Secret Service screening. Uh, cabinet secretaries and motorcades pull up, and they don't, they don't get stopped to go through that screening when they do. Senior staff of the White House who have parking on West Exec like I had, I would, I would just drive my car through a Secret Service gate, show my ID, and drive, be guided right in and park on West Exec. I didn't have to go through that screening. Um, and family members. Of, of, of the president don't have to go through that Secret Service security. Those are the only people who and, – and foreign leaders, right? Other than that, everybody has to go through a security screening. So either it's one of those – to somebody in those three groups who didn't have to go through screening and felt confident that they could bring a baggie of cocaine into the White House, or they went through the Secret Service screening and the Secret Service failed to detect this, in which case we've got a national security issue on our hands. So here's Kevin McCarthy yesterday, cut two. 
Do you think now that Secret Service says they've ended their investigation, is there a role for Congress to play here? Yes, because they should end their role. You can't tell me in the White House with 24-7 surveillance and a cubbyhole by a situation when you don't know who to deliver. I mean, the American people think that's a force. You should get an answer to the question. It just seems to me in America today, anything involving Biden Inc. gets treated different than everything else. And that shouldn't be the case. So what- and it is the case in everything. Uh, it, it's nonstop. Yeah. So uh, let's pivot over to what's happening abroad. The president. Can I just say one more thing on that, though? Yeah. That that it's not just an issue of finding the perpetrator; it's finding out whether our 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 defenses were per- penetrated, and that's the Secret Service should be investigating itself because that means the secret. If it went through Secret Service screening, they failed. It should be somebody other than the Secret Service who's investigating the Secret Service and whether they did an uh, adequate job protecting themselves. So yeah, sorry, but, but they don't. They don't have uh, bomb sniffing dogs. They don't have drug sniffing dogs, right? They have bomb sniffing dogs. But I mean, the point is, you can't bring a bag of white powder through Secret Service screening into the West Wing. How can that be allowed to happen? They don't even know what it was. They 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 don't know what it is. There's a, there's a, I mean, it could be anthrax. It could be something to use to, 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 to threaten the president of the United States. That, that, that's a failure of security on the part of the, of the Secret Service. So let, let's talk about what the president's doing overseas. He's trying to, I guess, going to get away with that. We'll bring people out and they'll deny it. Couldn't be more disappointing. Christopher Ray this week uh, just denying it, not even acting concerned, except for he was nailed on the Richmond situation with the Catholic investigation. Besides yep. that, he should be outraged about what was happening with his agents calling uh, what was revealed in the Twitter files, so to speak. But he's not. So let's talk about the president of the United States. He gets out of town just in time. And he says this about the war in Helsinki, Finland. Cut nine. I absolutely guarantee it. There is no question. There's overwhelming support from the American people. There's overwhelming support from the members of the Congress, both House and Senate, in both parties, notwithstanding the fact there's some extreme elements of one party. We will stand together. The American people known for the since the end of World War II and the formation of NATO that our security rests in the unanimity among European and transatlantic partners us. And so this is, you know, no one can guarantee the future, but this is the best bet anyone could make. So he, he continues to think like you and I, we feel the same way. This is a necessary conflict. Ukraine yep. is fighting like uh, like warriors. We're providing the armaments, the bulk of it. But yep. he does not explain that to the American people. You, General Jack Keane, Lindsey Graham, they explain the reason for this war. He never explains it. And when people go against it, the extreme elements of the party, it's not the extreme elements of the party. There's a lot of people who are clear thinking Republicans who say, I I just don't want to I don't want to support this. So what you do is have a pushback and explain it. He doesn't feel any urgency to explain it except revelations like we're out of bullets. Yeah. So I did a big essay in The Washington Post laying out the America first case for Ukraine, laying it out in Put aside a solidarity with the Ukrainian people. Why is it in America's interest to do this? And when I showed it to my wife before I sent it into the post, she said, this is the speech you would have written for George W. Bush. And, and I was, the light bulb went off. I was like, exactly. This is the speech the president ought to be giving, laying out why it is in America's interest. He gave a speech in Vilnius about this, right? And he spent more time talking about climate change in that speech than Sickening. he did – Laying out a strategy for victory, how to, not just, you know, we'll stay with them until the end. How are we going to actually help them win? 
And what is the plan for a durable peace once the fighting ends? He didn't explain any of that. And he didn't explain to the American people who are watching this. He's got a, a national audience on every network why it's in our interest to help Ukraine. He never makes that argument. And it's it's maddening because he leaves it to other people. Nobody's even doing his side. You know, when it comes up to the election year, there's a lot of Democrats in uh, in battleground districts in states. And there's a lot of Republicans who are going to run against funding this war, which I believe is against our national interest, just like pulling out of Afghanistan was against our national interest. You may want to end the war, but what's in the best interest of the country? Make the case and tell us. And if we believe it and we, we there's enough proof there, we'll believe you. We would. There was no push to get out of Afghanistan. There was just ridiculous. We want to end this war. If you explain to people why we need a presence there, they would get it. But they don't even give people the opportunity to uh, to hear the other side and make their own conclusions. Americans are not isolationists. They're reluctant internationalists. They are willing to support American leadership on the world stage if someone explains to them why it's in our national interest. And so here's the thing. If I was working in the White House and planning this, I'd have the president give a major address in prime time explaining why it's in our interest to be there and why it's in order to do that. I would have him going to every congressional district where there are building weapons that are going being sent to Ukraine to demonstrate how many American jobs are being created by, by, by our aid to Ukraine. I would go to the districts where Poland is sending its, you know, its, its old Soviet MiGs to Ukraine and is buying F-35 fighters from us. I'd go to the district where they're producing the F-35s and say, this is how it's helping American jobs. There, there should be a strategic campaign to build American support and, second of all, to lay out a vision for how we win. Exactly. They, there, there's no vision for victory. There's no vision for durable peace. You know, it's 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 all he's making the Ukrainians fight this war with one hand tied behind their backs. He's giving them enough weapons to not lose, but he's not giving them enough weapons to win. And so they're fighting this offensive. What do you need to win a counteroffensive? You need tanks. We're not giving them. You need long range uh, artillery and precision weapons. We're not giving them. You need fighter jets to give you air power. The Russians have fighter jets. They're bombing Ukrainian positions. We're not, we, they, the Ukrainians don't have them. All they got is these old Soviet MiG fighters that are, that are you know, thousands, thousands of tons heavier than our current planes and are not nearly as accurate. Why are we not giving them? The, the British and French, for crying out loud, are giving them long-range weapons now, but the U.S. isn't. It's, it's such a disgrace and how you, he's handling this. And by the way, he, he's, got total, uh, he's got total support from the media. You watch him on the world stage. You watch him mumble through that speech. You watch him not go to dinners because he wants to rest. Uh, and you, you watch him what almost fall that, up the, the stairs. That's going to the NATO working dinner. This, it, I was with Bush in 2008 at the NATO summit where he pushed for Ukraine and Georgia to be, to be uh, invited into NATO, and NATO refused. And there was a working dinner where they had this debate. It went two hours over because Bush was so insistent in pushing them to do, to do this. And Biden didn't even show up to the dinner because he was tuckered out. What, 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 if you want evidence that this man is not up to the job, how do you not go to the leader's dinner? This isn't a ceremonial dinner. It's a working dinner where business gets done. Uh, no, and he's so, not there. Of course, and he did this before at the last, I think it was the G7. Uh, here's, this is why he could do it, because most media has his back. Listen to this, cut 16. 
the speech the night before and Lithuania was, was commanding, the press conference, and even to go back a second time to the Finnish reporter who continued to question America's commitment uh, to Finland as part of NATO. And he's like, no, no, let me, like, let me go back to, to what, you know, let me go back and correct you. But I also want to know, does anybody know who decided that the trip would end in Helsinki? Because it was a genius move. You know, that's yeah. actually not clear to me if it was the White House that said, hey, I know, let's go back to Helsinki five, same five place, years to the same day, room. same place. It just couldn't be a more, or if that was, you know, if that was baked uh, from the Nordic leaders themselves. And still just like so breathtaking that moment from Trump. It like I really actually, was. I still gasp when I hear it. Me too. And that contrast for Biden to be, you know, not just defending, not just showing American leadership, but also just be so great at um, you know, at nailing that speech and that right. press conference. So isn't it great he just nailed everything? Yeah. Well, that wasn't Trump's best moment. <laughs> but, but look, here's, here's the thing. Biden, yeah, they're covering for him. And, you know, and, and they also, by the way, the, the, the Washington Post, I think it is, reporting today that they almost withdrew the language on, on inviting Ukraine into NATO one of these days, maybe somehow because of Zelensky criticizing it, because they were so angry with Zelensky. They treat it like he's like, we're not giving aid to Ukraine as a favor to Ukraine because we're, because we're just good guys and we're, and we're doing them a favor. It's in our interest to stop them, to, to stop the Russians. It's in our interest to help them. So you don't punish him for being ungrateful. He's, he, he wants to get into NATO because, because it's good for his country, but we want him in because it's good for our country. Yeah, and, and so, yeah. They, they, again, nothing is driven by national interest in their decision making. They never make the case on national interest. And despite that, Brian, the good news is that two thirds of Republicans voted in Congress this week to, to against uh, amendments gotcha. to cut off aid to Ukraine. The uh, the, the isolationists are, are marginalized in the Republican but, caucus. But, is a bipartisan but that, majority that could change with this type of lack of communication. Uh, Mark Thiessen, thank you so much. Uh, when we come back, I'll take your calls. Brian Kilmeade Show. Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Pull up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy. And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America. Download from the kitchen table the Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. He's so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we are back. Uh, 1-866-408-7669. We're following a lot of these stories. One story of which is, uh, I don't know if you guys have been following these Gilgo murders uh, in a big mystery over the last 10 years. Did specials on it. Our specials on Fox Nation. You've seen it on various crime shows throughout the network. So it looks like they've solved the crime and they got the killer, at least one of them. Uh, we got details. It happens to be Massapequa, Long Island, where they arrested him. Uh, works in Manhattan. Uh, graduated local high school in 1981. Uh, and looks to be a sadistic, twisted killer, if these allegations are correct and they got the right guy. Unbelievable. 
Listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Coley Shimkus joins us when we get back. We'll expand on this big story. CNN is actually running it that Joe Biden is looking to be replaced. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'd say another thing that I think the White House is delighted with, people banging this kettle drum all day long. Joe Biden is senile. Joe Biden is infirm. Joe Biden has lost his mind. He's seven hours uh, ahead. He stands up there. He doesn't have the press conference went for more than an hour. He's taking hard questions on foreign policy and looked pretty good. Great look, speech look, the look, night before. Look, gave a great Not speech. like he didn't have a tough schedule no, the day before. Right. Tough schedule, tough traffic. He gets in there, does a long press conference. Not only is the contrast with what Trump did five years ago, just in general, the guy's up there handling questions on the world stage uh, and, and without really missing the beat. If I, if I want to run a tape to refute the absurd notions of Joe Biden's senility or his infirmity. I run this tape, if I'm the White House, and say, that guy is doing better uh, in this space than and, almost and, than any of us yeah. around this table could do with this. At, and, 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 yeah, and I'll tell you, that, that. The, the, the economic news of this week and inflation, I that's, know. A, that's a pretty good double. Win, 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 Jen, and um, looking like what he is, a statesman on the world stage. Yeah, so much winning, just like exhausted by all of the winning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So obviously they're making fun of Trump at the end there, but I'm astounded. We watch him shuffle around. We watch him go to bed instead of having that working dinner Mark Thiessen just brought up. We watch him stumble through a speech he needed 48 hours to to read. We watch him basically not finish his sentence, just drown out. Now, we saw the CBS Kiss Up article where they called how the other leaders like the grandfatherly Tony takes. Really? Grandfatherly Tony takes it. It seems as though they're even mocking him in Saudi Arabia on comedy shows. But we'll see. I would love for him to show a Tony. It doesn't do with being 80. It just matter how old you are and how you act. Listen to what uh, other clear-thinking people had to say, like Victor Davis Hanson, cut 20. I don't think he's going to be the nominee. I don't think he's going to be able to. And I think they know it. And they welcome the fact that he's not going to be able. And I think that explains why all of a sudden this obsequious and Todish Press is leaking all, everything. And, and he going on to say, this is what he's seen on the world stage, Cut 19. Well, it's symptomatic of what we've seen, that he's in decline at a, at a geometric rate. So each, each session that we see him abroad becomes more embarrassing. And it poses this question, what are the Democratic Party, what are they going to do? And they, they want him to finish his term. And I don't think they want him to run for re-election. So that explains why we're suddenly getting leaks about his cognitive liabilities, about scandals about the Biden consortium, intemperate treatment of his granddaughter. All of that is designed, I think, to persuade him that he's not going to run again. Right. Uh, That cocaine in the White House, uh, arrogance, quick temper. And then you watch him on the world stage. It's amazing, Coach Shimkus, that I was just playing while we were on the air. Uh, on the other channels, they just think he's done the best job ever overseas. Yes. So how do you explain that? Well, how do I explain why they think he's done the best job overseas? Well, you know what? I do think that President Biden does deserve some credit in keeping NATO together. And not only that, but adding to the alliance. Uh, that's a good thing. Uh, with that said, when it comes to scheduling, uh, and when you have an aging president, that's a challenge. And clearly, 
the White House looked at the schedule and realized, okay, he can't do the NATO dinner because he needs to prepare for the speech and the... Or he told them. Yeah, well, one way or the other, but it didn't happen. And I think that they wanted him to nail the speech and nail the meeting with Zelensky. Um, and, you know, he did, he did, he did how you would expect him to do. It was fine. Um, but I, I don't know if he necessarily shines on the world stage. I, I was listening to some clips of him from Finland yesterday, and he got testy with the press at some point and he couldn't hear some of the questions. And the White House went back and said, well, the room was echoey, uh, but everybody else could hear the questions being asked. So there was in a little bit of back and forth and confusion there. I do think that this trip showed his age in a way that past trips for him have not. So uh, he's only getting older and it's really starting to show. So I want you, so I guess it, it has showed for a while. And Carly, just to talk about him being short, he never does any press conferences, town halls and interviews once in a while. Fareed Zakaria. Okay. So listen to this. My second question on that note to uh, Mr. President Niinistö, uh, hearing this answer that no one can guarantee a future, are you worried that the political instability in the U.S. will cause issues in the alliance in the future? Let me be clear. I didn't say we didn't guarantee it. We couldn't guarantee the future. You can't tell me whether you're going to be able to go home tonight. No one can be sure what they're going to do. I'm saying as sure as anything can possibly be said about American foreign policy, we will stay connected to NATO, connected to NATO beginning, middle, and end. We're a transatlantic partnership. That's what I've said. Right, yeah. So that was one of the uh, comments that he made in Finland. Uh, and that is not terrible. It's not the worst. But, you know, I think that there is a, maybe probably a more diplomatic way of answering that question. And then you have the, the uh, Axios report where they called him Old Yeller. And we're learning that behind the scenes, people are af- afraid of him, which is the exact opposite of the Biden that he presents in public or he's grandfatherly and kind and will take you by the shoulders or, you know, touch you, know you on the shoulder, you know, which is another issue entirely. But it's the image that he wants people to uh, view him as as being just, right. you know, a grandfather. And uh, we're kind of hearing an opposite. Uh, a couple of things when it comes to NATO, I don't think he deserves almost any credit. For keeping NATO together, and here's why. The people that deserve credit for keeping NATO together are the Russians. Because the Russians provided, for the first time in 75 years, an actual invasion of why NATO was formed. They wanted to stop the Soviet Union from grabbing the rest of Europe. Like, mm-hmm. they grabbed the Eastern Europe, and they never were supposed to, in a deal that was brokered after World War II. So they go, well, don't worry about Russia. We're just going to have Nordstrom 1. Don't worry about war. Hey, America, don't worry about it. Don't, I know you have natural gas. You kind of worry about your self-interest. But we're going to do Nordstrom 2. What did he do? He did Nordstrom, too. He green-lighted the rest of it. So next thing you know, if you are addicted to Russian oil and gas, it's not in your interest to really stand up against Ukraine. But this invasion was so comprehensive and so massive, Poland, Germany, others said, my goodness, we have to do something about this. Do you think it was a phone call, Carly, from President Biden that convinced Finland and Sweden to do this for the first time in 70 years? Well, if you ask him, the answer would be yes, because he is taking credit for Sweden and Turkey not wanting Sweden to be in the alliance. The only thing he's done is try to get, because you need a unanimous vote, he tried to get Turkey to green light Mm -hmm. it, because Turkey's in their own self-interest. They're trying to play both ends and say, guys, okay. But it was Sweden and Finland who said, by the way, 
Can you let me yeah. in now? Just like you. Yeah. You know, I, I do. I think you bring up a good point. But uh, at, on the flip side, you know, when you are in charge, say for, this always it always happens this way. You give presidents probably more credit when things go a certain way and, and blame them too much when things go an opposite way. So if NATO were to break up under and Biden's the president, you'd blame him for that because the United States, not you, just people in general, uh, because the United States is, a, is the strongest country in it. So maybe there's some outsized attention being uh, positive attention being brought to Biden because there two more countries were added to the alliance. But I also think that there is some brokering that happens under the Biden administration that has kept the union together. Um, I think we've been extremely slow. A lot of people have died because we waited on HIMARS. We waited on the Patriot missile. Yeah, well, that's a separate issue with the but war. No, but it's and the I same, agree with it's you the same on thing. That. It's like if you're going to support the war, support the war. Mm-hmm. And now they're like, we're considering attackums. Every day people are dying while right. you consider. One of the things is we only got 4,000. How many do you want to give? Just tell me how many you're going to give. I know. 200? Fine. Yeah. And I Whatever you do, you do it. There's nothing to talk about. Make the decisions. The military is known to make decisions, good or bad. They've got to make decisions they'll execute. Execute. There's not enough time to go so, or go uh, go to the beach listen, on the weekend. And, uh, one of the big conversations on Capitol Hill right now, and it's received support from both sides, and also pushback are the uh, the Biden administration agreeing to send the cluster bombs. And I don't understand the criticism there. I mean, first of all, the dud rate is much lower than uh, the cluster bombs that Russia is already using. It's got like a 25 percent dud rate. And I think that, you know, the moral equivalency there is just not accurate because Ukraine wants to use them on Ukrainian territory to, to defend its people. So uh, I heard yesterday that those cluster bombs are already in Ukrainian soldiers' hands. Right. I hope so. Uh, but the thing is, when he comes out and says we're doing this because we're out of 155 ammo. Mm-hmm. Really? We're out of one fit. We're out of javelins. We use a thirteen-year, uh, a thirteen-year allocation on javelins. Okay, we have not given the weapons to Taiwan. Have you seen a problem? We have weapons production issues. I know. What have you done to increase weapons production in a capitalist society where you could purchase that with our dollars and say, American people, we're going to have to do this. This helps our Absolutely. country. Absolutely. And then guess who else wants to buy these weapons? All NATO members want to start converting, getting rid of the Russian crap mm-hmm. and getting our stuff. That is – they pay – they actually write checks. And, Brian, when you think about the defense bill, I th- it's – uh, a cut to defense spending when you take inflation into consideration. I hate hearing that. I, I will never understand that, especially when there is already an active war in Europe and then you have the looming Chinese-Taiwan threat and you could already see the devastating headlines now. We run out of weapons because something happens in China and you look back to the summer of 2023 and say, what was going on then? Oh, well, Nothing. Really? Mm-hmm. You could you could see it playing out in front of your very eyes. And the, the fact of the matter is you have the Russians lost 15 generals. Uh, they're one of their most favored generals. Pop, uh, Popov has been eliminated because he cri- was critical. So they got rid of him and he cut a tape saying I, I so goodbye to the troops. So he cuts a tape and they love this guy just like they like uh, P- Pershugin, Pershu, uh, Pershu- Pr- Prigozhin. Prigozhin. They loved him. Okay, the Wagner group liked him, so they're gone. He's speaking out. This place, Russia's falling apart. Russia is falling apart. But then you hear these news stories constantly. I'm hearing news stories that the counteroffensive isn't going as well for Ukrainians as people uh, originally thought Certainly it might. Certainly not the speed. So they were Well, they dug in, number one. Number two is they have no air cover. So they've been neutralized by the fighter jets of the Russians. Number two is... While they were in winter and moving forward on Bakhmut, which they failed and lost tens of thousands, mm-hmm. 
they were making these uh, cement shelters. Who so was? Which the Russians, Russians were of. So the Russians were not only fortifying their land, with their, their line with people, they were actually making flat-out fortifications. Mm-hmm. And that's another reason why the cluster munitions would work. They'll actually flush them out mm-hmm. and making these huge minefields. So when you can't get air cover, you're moving slow, then you got to worry about getting hit so you're not moving as quick. So what but does Russia do need then to balance it out What is What do the Ukrainians yeah, need? I'm sorry, yeah, you, what do the Ukrainians The Ukrainians need? could use the F-16s. We're going to start training them in the fall. And so what happens is we're not giving it to them. Why not? Why you is know, that the you red know line? What? The rest of NATO is going to give them theirs. Oh, okay. So we gave them permission to do it. And they go, okay, but we don't know how to fly them. We go, in the fall, starting in September, we'll train you. I know. Abrams tanks. It's, it's, just, it's so September. slow. I know. There's no excuse for it. This is America. We could do, we could do all this stuff quicker mm-hmm. than everybody else. Yeah. So that's, that to me is legitimate criticism, but fortifies people like Matt Gates. And other clear-thinking Americans who don't feel as though this is in our interest. But you're giving them the opening to say incompetence. You're giving the opening to saying what is going on here. You don't explain this to anyone. So when you're in election year and then they say we are looking at our funding now, what have we given to Ukraine? We've given them $44 billion. What could we have done with that? Those are ads to be run against a moderate Democrat in a battleground state. Right. Now all of a sudden they're off. And I just think it's in our national interest to do this. But the president's, I think, arrogance and the people around him to feel as though they don't have to explain it to people and counter narrative is. So what you're saying is the some of the reason for the pushback in terms of how much money we've given to Ukraine is because people don't understand how important this war is to the United States. And he never explains it. And then President Biden or uh, former President Trump says that he could end the war in a phone call. That's. That's what he has to say. And I think that one of the most interesting things that happened to Ron DeSantis, do you remember a few months ago when he came out with his stance on the war? And he's a military guy, and he says that he doesn't think fighting this is in America's best interest either. He's since walked that back, but I, I saw that. I viewed that as a mistake. He says it was a territorial dispute? Yeah. Okay. So Mexico takes 20% of, uh, of Texas? Territorial dispute. Just make peace. Make peace. Yeah. What are you talking about? Yeah, I think so he I, wants that one back. But I think this, yeah, he actually did kind of walk it back a little bit. But he also knew that uh, the person he was writing to was totally against the war. And if he, if he thought, if he thought, if he wrote that letter like Mike Pence would, yeah. uh, Nikki Haley would, he thought he'd be marginalized. That is true. But what do it anyway? What? Yeah, you got to. I don't I just don't believe that he feels that way. I don't I don't believe just given his military background and the way he's he voted in Congress. It just came across as he was playing to the the base of the party. Yeah. And he wasn't saying what he actually thought. When we come back, Crowley Shimkus on what's happening in 2024. uh, There is going to be a shift when you say shift shift with Ron DeSantis towards an area in which I think he will really thrive. I'll explain it. But Donald Trump is a uh, substantial lead and he's been his he's got the best team he's ever had by far doing better against Biden head to head as well. But we'll talk about what DeSantis plans on doing to start chipping away. Don't move. Newsmakers and newsbreakers here at first on the Brian Kilmeade show. 
From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The cocaine caper will never be found. Uh, for me, as a member of Congress, it's very frustrating. Every time we see something at the White House that has happened that's unsavory or perhaps corrupt or illegal, uh, the White House always seems to lie about it and try to cover it up. And no one ever gets caught. No one gets ever is ever held accountable. And it's very frustrating to see the most secure location on the planet with the most uh, trained law enforcement security agents on the planet can't figure this out. It's very frustrating. And now a case closed and we will never know what happened. That is Nancy Mace, who just got a private classified briefing, Carly Shimkus, about uh, about the cocaine found at the White House. Ten days, can't do it. Cold case. We're done. <laughs> Blows my mind. Crazy. Blows my mind. Cr- uh, Especially with Hunter Biden there every day. I know. Um, I don't want to sound reactionary. But a crime was committed at the White House. Mm-hmm. And you would think, listen, if it wasn't a Biden family member, you would think that President Biden and Corinne Jean-Pierre would be outraged. I mean, because he is you could view him as a victim in this whole thing. What if it wasn't cocaine? What if yeah. it was anthrax or something else? And then you have to worry about, God forbid, copycats. And now now that this person was never found. Would that lead to somebody trying it and having it be even more serious? I mean, you don't even want to put that out there. But these are things that should be going through the White House's mind and spinning this and say you cannot be doing this on government property, let alone the White House. And yet it's just completely radio silence. And then you have Jamie Raskins, who said that he's satisfied with the investigation. How could you be satisfied with an investigation where they don't they don't find out who did it? It's absolutely it's just such a weird reaction. It makes it feel like a cover up. Well, it, it just uh, these are the same guys who were just outraged about everything Trump did. Everything. What's going on with the Saudi? I heard he was going to build a big building in Moscow. I thought he was going to Saudi Arabia. Why is it now all of a sudden you had you have cocaine in the White House? Um, believe me, Adam Schiff would not have been off camera. They would have been that would have been the only topic no. last night on every other channel. Uh, a quick thing. You are uh, you you're you're feeling about the Hollywood strike. So you got the writers on strike and the actors on strike at a time in which no one's going to the movies. Are you crazy? I'm like, this is the worst time for them to have a strike, don't you think? <laughs> I know. I haven't really thought a whole lot about this story. And, and I didn't think about it like anymore. that. But yeah, that's true. Um, and I, I was talking to somebody whose name I won't mention because I don't know if they want me to, to say it, but they're making a movie right now. And he was telling me that... Uh, actually, it's a, oh, it's a TV show. He was telling me, he's. I was like, when is it going to come out? He's like, I don't know, because the writer strike is happening. And now the actors are striking, too. And there's an AI tie-in. And I didn't even know Fran Drescher, the nanny, was ahead of the Screen Actors Guild. Right. I did not know either. She's a bit of a yeller. We know she was just taking a selfie with Kim Kardashian and then also explaining the, the urgency of it. Not a good look. AI, Fran Drescher, Kim Kardashian. What does AI mean? Top Fox News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. It's Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. one 408 7669 This hour, we're going to be joined by Mayor Suarez. I come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan. Uh, and then at the bottom of the hour, we're going to speak to a uh, very special congressman who wants to weigh in on all the the testimony this week. Congressman Nathaniel Moran, uh, Moran, uh, Moran 
of uh, of Texas. So he's going to weigh in. He's on the Foreign Affairs Committee. He saw what was happened yesterday with John Kerry and the Judiciary Committee. Absolute arrogance. Uh, and the mayor is going to be with us running for president, very successful mayor. He's got the most unique way of raising money I have ever seen. I don't know if it's allowed, but it's fascinating, and I'll let him explain it to you. Uh, but just keep in mind, too, we're following another story. Stunning news at Gilgo Beach on Long Island, a murder mystery that maybe has uh, lasted 10-plus years where a bunch of, I guess you could say, night workers, strippers, uh, whatever you want to call them, found dead in Gilgo Beach in the most dense area you can imagine. They finally solved the murder, for at least for most of them. There was a major arrest in Massapequa, Long Island, of a guy that graduated from local high school there, was an architect, and looks as though he's been accused of being a multi, a serial killer. So we'll give you that, and let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We don't own a private jet. I don't own a private jet. I personally have never owned a private jet. And obviously, it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. It just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. They did go there, and it just shows your arrogance. Unbelievable. Green ruse revealed. Climate czar John John Kerry loses his mind when called out for his hypocrisy. And when he's not on a yacht, he's on a private jet telling us to change our lifestyle and stop using gas cars. Not a chance. Number two. That guy is doing better in this space than and, almost and, than any of us yeah. around this table could do with this. At, at, yeah, I'll tell you that. that. The, the economic news of this week and inflation, that's a, that's a pretty good double. Win, win, Biden. win, Jen. And I'm looking like what he is, a statesman on the world stage. Oh, yes. yes. So that's exactly what I was thinking. Exhausted by all of the money. I, I, that's exactly what I was thinking, statesman on the world stage. I wish it was true. I, I looked at Barack Obama as a statesman, Bill Clinton as a statesman, not partisan. Joe Biden does not look like a statesman. But if you look at the other channels just covering for him, you might think that. But I think people are wising up to that. Meanwhile, on the right, and there's a big movement now to get someone except Joe on the left, on the right. Ron DeSantis might be changing things. We'll talk about his new tactics. Number one. Every time we see something at the White House that has happened that's unsavory or perhaps corrupt or illegal, uh, the White House always seems to lie about it and try to cover it up. And no one ever gets caught. The most uh, trained law enforcement uh, security agents on the planet can't figure this out. It's very frustrating. No kidding, Nancy Mace, after she got briefed. Well, that was quick. Cocaine found at the White House and in 10 days has become a cold case. Really? More, more Biden family protections. Did we learn anything new? This was the third illegal drug found in the, Biden, in the Biden administration at the White House. Well, that's new. Let's bring a presidential candidate with a lot of uh, with a lot of charisma, huge upside. Uh, Miami Mayor Mayor uh, Suarez. Uh, mayor Suarez, welcome back. Brian, it's great to be with you, like always. Uh, so it was great to hear from you. I want to get to your unique way of of, of getting donors and getting on that debate stage in a moment. But first things first, how would you gauge the president's uh, last few days over uh, in Lithuania and then over in Helsinki, Finland? You know, I think the president's foreign policy has been a, a total catastrophe, a total disaster. Um, I, you know, it's not like you could say his domestic policy has been any better, but his foreign policy has been a policy beginning with, the, you know, incompetent withdrawal from Afghanistan, where we saw people literally 
you know, falling off of wings where we had to abandon, you know, billions of dollars of military equipment where the Afghan government collapsed uh, shortly thereafter. Uh, then the inability to, to respond to threats in our own hemisphere after the July 11th protests, which we just marked the two-year anniversary in Cuba. Uh, nothing was done. Nothing was done to help the Cuban people. And what we've seen is a rise of socialism in our hemisphere. So it's been one catastrophe uh, 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 you know, after another. I can't imagine anyone uh, to, uh, to characterize that as being a statesman. Uh, I think that's sort of laughable. Um, you know, he's someone uh, that has not had a coherent uh, hemispheric strategy, hasn't had a coherent uh, a global strategy. And what's happened is our enemies are emboldened. Let's be let's be clear. Right. Uh, Putin, who has uh, a, a an ambition, just like uh, Xi Jinping, who have their 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 lifelong goals and ambitions of how they view their country, are using this as the best case opportunity for them to prosecute those ambitions. That's why uh, I believe that Putin made uh, the decision to go into Ukraine. That's why I'm sure every single day Xi Jinping is thinking about how he can uh, take Taiwan, which would be a massively disruptive event for our country because 90% of advanced microchips are being produced in Taiwan, and that impacts a tremendous amount of of the uh, consumer goods that we use on a daily basis. And by the way, you know all about that because you've made Miami, Silicon Valley. It's been one of your approaches to say, hey, how would you like low taxes, better weather, get out of get out of Silicon Valley? And they've come. That's part of your calling card. The other thing that you pointed out, which is not appreciated, is we allowed that uprising and did nothing to help the Cuban people. And for those people who say, well, Cuba is not my problem. It's been a problem in America for uh, with America's had a problem with that for since the 60s. You're right. And just so you know. If you're upset about China having a spy station 90 miles from our shore, then you should have wanted America to play a role and be a beacon of hope and uh, and maybe intelligence to allow them to stand up. Because if that Cuban government had flipped, you would not see China at our doorstep, correct? Absolutely. And it's not just a spy base. Now they want to have a training base, right? So they're upping the ante. Uh, on on Cuba, but it's not just Cuba too. Like I think Cuba is just sort of the head of the snake of a rise of socialism in our hemisphere. When you consider Mexico as a left of center government, when you consider uh, Brazil, Colombia, Argentina, Chile, I mean, this this all, let me tell you why it matters to us. It creates immigration pressure on the U.S. People who are fleeing desperation, who are fleeing uh, poverty, where do you think they're going to go? <laughs> where do you think they're going to want to go? Right. There's only one option. And so, uh, you know, if if we don't engage, if we don't start figuring out instead of sending a trillion dollars to to China on a net basis, on a net annual basis, right, having a large part of our supply chain uh, in the hands of an increasing adversary. Right. Unless we start undoing some of that and start using those resources, by the way, they're not tax resources, they're our own economic resources. Right. If we use those resources in a more intelligent fashion, which is, by the way, what 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 China's doing, they're using their uh, Belt uh, and Roads Initiative, which is our our money, basically, uh, to invest it in our hemisphere, in Africa and and in uh, the former Soviet bloc countries to try to uh, create more power dynamics in their favor. We've got to undo all that. Uh, We've got to do it immediately. We've also got to shore up our supply chain. But if we start um, deep uh, uh, powering China and using those resources to start creating relationships in our hemisphere, then what happens is we don't have the same poverty and the same incentive for people to come to this country. And that in and of itself slows uh, the immigration crisis that we're seeing at our southern border. All right. So we're talking with Mayor Suarez. 
Um, Mayor Suarez, I just want you to know what you're up against if you do get the nomination, because we watched the president shuffling overseas, lose his temper in Helsinki, you know, got some easy questions about the future of NATO. To be honest, I think any 12th grader who studied American history would know the reason why you stay in NATO. But that's fine. At least he did a press conference. So I'm not going to be critical. But to think he oversees was strong while he missed a working dinner at NATO because he was too tired to give a speech in which he wrestled with. Listen to this, cut 14. I'd say another thing that I think the White House is delighted with, people banging this kettle drum all day long. Joe Biden is senile. Joe Biden is infirm. Joe Biden has lost his mind. He's seven hours uh, ahead. He stands up there. He does have the press conference went for more than an hour. He's taking hard questions on foreign policy and looked pretty good. Great speech the night before. Look, you gave a great Not speech. like he didn't have a tough schedule not, the day before. Right. Tough schedule, tough traffic. He gets in there, does a long press conference. Not only is the contrast with what Trump did five years ago, just in general, the guy's up there handling questions on the world stage. And, and, uh, and, and they and actually got more really effusive just, after that. Is that amazing to you that people could assess things the same way? It's amazing. Uh, I think uh, basically saying that someone, uh, the president was uh, in their in their minds, uh, what a shock, right? What, what a surprise. Uh, this is something that is, is being used as a as uh, as a sort of a, a compliment to the president. And, and, you know, it's it's crazy. Uh, we, we deserve better as a country. You know, I got in. I'm in New Hampshire today. I got in. Um, at 2.30 in the morning because of weather. I got up 30 in the morning. I'm grinding through the day, uh, spending time uh, with uh, people in in Manchester and in other parts of New Hampshire. And you need to have that energy, that vitality, uh, that articulation. And I would just tell people, you know, and I thank you for this opportunity to communicate with your audience. I would tell them, uh, because I know we're going to get to this real soon, is to go ahead and donate uh, on my website, just a dollar, which is all I ask for, francisuarez.com, just donate a dollar, um, so that I can get on the debate stage and continue to have this important conversation about the future of our country, which is what I know people want to talk about. Mr. Mayor, you also have a very unique idea. Uh, Inter Miami of the MLS has done the impossible. They've gotten the best player in the world to play soccer there. He's arrived in shopping at the Publix yesterday. And there's going to be tickets to his first game with Inter Miami. This team, which is at the bottom of the division, seemed in a shambles, is now acquiring great players and will be the number one attraction, include from baseball on down to NFL training camps. And what have you done for people to get involved and have a chance to go to that game? Well, I'm going to tell you what I've done, but I want to tell you what I've done to help bring Lionel Messi. Uh, you know, and I think the first thing it starts with is, is I, as mayor, um, had struck the deal to bring MLS to the city of Miami, okay? And we did this very differently from every other sports deal in America. And I think this is important because this is the kind of president that I would be. I think it's the best negotiated sports deal in the history of our country. You know how much subsidy we gave them? Zero. Okay, we gave them zero dollars in subsidy. I think Buffalo gave the Bills a trillion and a half dollars, sorry, a billion and a half dollars. I think uh, Tennessee gave the Titans a billion to Nevada is giving, uh, you know, their team a billion dollars. And and there's, yeah, the Raiders. And they're getting billion-dollar ass all over the country. We gave zero dollars. The city's going to make $2 billion in revenue from the deal. Okay, and we uh, created a a platform where we could attract the best player in the world from uh, his former team, Barcelona, that was trying to get him, and from Saudi that was offering him, you know, uh, uh, incredible amounts of money. Almost a billion dollars. Right. So what does that mean? 
about Miami. That means that in a global competition for the most talented person on, on earth, we won the competition because we have low taxes, because we're safe, and because uh, we, we do good deals. So one of the things I'm doing as part of the campaign is we want uh, people to, or we're asking people to donate a dollar to the campaign uh, through Venmo at Suarez2024. And we are going to be um, uh, allowing two people uh, that, that win this uh, competition uh, to be able to go front row seats to watch the first Messi game, which I believe is July 21st. So I think it's a really cool uh, thing that we're doing. So you if know, anyone gets, so if anyone comes in and donates a dollar plus to your campaign, they'll be eligible yep. to win the lotto to That's go right. to the game. Yeah, and, and I don't. Uh, we, we've got to be careful what we call it because it's not really a lotto, but um, they'll they'll be eligible uh, to to get uh, the possibility of two front row seats uh, to the game. That's uh, that's unbelievable. It's I, listen. I like Vivek Ramaswamy came out and said, anyone who gives to my campaign to raise his money, I'll give you ten percent or twenty percent. This is also innovative and creative too. So if you want to go to the number one attraction in the country in the world and sit in the front row, give a dollar to Mayor Suarez, who had a lot to do with him coming there. Uh, and right. also, I think it's important to point out that Miami failed in the MLS once. They were there. They were one of the original members, and that's and they right. failed. They that's were right. in the NSL. They failed. So you're going to try to do what, you know, what not many, no other team has done, have a successful soccer franchise built the correct way. We're do, doing it the correct way. Uh, MLS is being well run by John Garber, who is, the, um, who is now the, the, uh, the, the president and CEO of, of MLS. He's doing a phenomenal job. I think, like you said, it's, it's I think, the second now sport with the most uh, average attendance of all the sports behind football. I mean, it's doing incredible um, and again, I mean, let me just uh, reemphasize, donate a dollar, uh, Venmo at Suarez 2024, at Suarez 2024, to enter uh, into this um, uh, giveaway. Uh, and, and it's it's going to be something great. I know, Brian, you're going to do it right after the show. Right. I know how much you want to go. The thing is, I can't do it. I get fired, though, man, Mr. Mayor. I know, I know, I know. you got but, contractual prohibitions. Exactly, I, yeah. I, I, know that, I know that if you could, you would, because I know how badly you want to go see that game. Well, I'll put it this way. I, I've seen you in action. I know, I know how much this country means to you and your family. Uh, and anyone who supports you will, uh, won't regret it. That's what I. Thank that's you, what I brother. could say. I gotta. I gotta do this whole season. Go through the election season, uh, Mayor. Yep. Would it, you're also doing something too. Uh, your super PAC is touting a chance to have college tuition covered for a dollar donation. Yeah, and as I, and as you know, obviously we, we can't coordinate with super PAC, so I, I don't. Uh, I can't get involved in that process. But I do. You know, having seen it just like you did, I think it's a unique and interesting idea because I think again. Uh, as you get creative uh, to try to get people to support you and to listen to your ideas and to give you an opportunity to get on a debate stage so you can talk more about why um, their future, why, why you are the right person to guide their future. I think doing things that are positive, like giving them an opportunity to have a scholarship, giving them an opportunity to go watch, uh, to go sit front row at a messy game. I mean, those are things that are real, that people really care about, that they enjoy, that they can appreciate, that they can get value from. Um, and I think that's something that, um, you know, it's interesting that, that, that what's great about this uh, requirement is that it's making the candidates focus on everyday people, right? We're not just doing the high dollar dinners uh, that no right. one has access to, right? We're actually going 40, after everyday, right? We're actually going after the everyday person to just telling them, give us a dollar, give us a chance. Let us let us gotcha. uh, uh, be able to motivate you and inspire you, and I think that's there's something. We really only have 20 that. seconds left, but uh, Mr. Mayor, what are the Uyghurs? 
<laughs> well, it's funny. Uh, it's 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 spelled uh, you know Y G Y A R. So I've always called it Uyghur. But um, they are a, a minority Muslim population in China. About a million of them in Xinjiang uh, that are in concentration camps and are shot if they try to escape and are basically spend all day indoctrinating them. It's very sad. I gave the keys to the city to Enos Cantor Freedom. I don't know if you know uh, sure. Enos. Uh, who has basically been fighting the NBA because they have been playing footsies with China, as so many U.S. companies are, um, and they don't even talk about these human rights violations. By the way, all gotcha. human rights violations are important across the world, not just a- Absolutely. And before you do business, it matters, even if you promise to put solar okay. panels up, John Kerry. Mayor Suarez, best right. of luck down the, down the road, and we'll look forward to watching Messi play in your city. You got it, Brian. Thanks a lot. Back in a moment. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. So listen, welcome back. I got to tell you, Massapeak was known for Brian Setzer with the Stray Cats, all the Baldwins, the good and the bad. Uh, you're known for the Baldingers, uh, the fantastic three players, uh, three brothers playing the NFL at the same time. And uh, Joey Buttafuoco, sadly. And now they're going to be known for the home of a serial murderer, a 1981 graduate of Burner High School. They just arrested him. If it is, in fact, a conviction, he's right now been accused of being a serial murderer of the Gilgo Beach murders, Allison. Does that blow you away? This is, I'm watching scenes from my town while I'm on the air, getting messages from people I graduated high school with. Ask me if I knew him. That's crazy. A serial murderer. I mean, you never know who's in your class. But that's when they had two high schools in my town. So that's the other side of town, where I also had a lot of friends. Uh, listen, when we come back, I'll be able to uh, open up this talk about what happened yesterday on Capitol Hill as it relates to John Kerry. He was finally called out. And what is happening with Joe Biden? It looks like he's being called out, maybe off the campaign trail. I'll explain. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. In the past decade, as you know, uh, we've reduced emissions here in the United States, but in the same time frame, China's emissions have increased. The pollution that's coming out of China. Correct. That's exactly why we're working at what we're doing. And you said yourself, quote, earlier, this is a global universal issue, and we we don't want it to become captive to other issues. But I'm curious when you say that. If, they're, if you're ignoring these other issues like my colleague brought up here, human rights issues, would you agree that human rights issues are also global universal issues? Absolutely. But you, you want to keep them separate when you're talking to China is what you said earlier. Is that true? What I said is, well, no, we don't, we don't keep them separate in terms of our priorities. No, that's exactly what you said. You said President Xi and President Biden agreed at the outset to separate out the climate issue so it wouldn't get caught up in these other issues. Correct. So are, are you, were you correct? That doesn't mean you don't talk about them. <laughs> yes, it does. It means you're going to forge ahead and do a deal, despite the fact that they should not be doing a deal with us. What is, do we have any standards as a country? They're going to put spy ships over our country. They're going to hack our Commerce Secretary and our Secretary of State in May. We wouldn't find out about it until June. We're begging to get a meeting, and then we got our climate czar over there saying, "Don't worry about the torturing, the the organ harvesting. We just want to give. We just want to be able to do solar panels and have more electric cars. It's crazy." 
Congressman Nathaniel Moran was asking those questions, and he joins us now. Congressman, it must have just been maddening for you to question somebody who doesn't seem to get it. Brian, it was so frustrating yesterday when I was talking with Secretary Kerry. Uh, incredibly hypocritical for him to sit there and, frankly, be an apologist for the Chinese Communist Party and to talk about at one point during that testimony how good they're doing and how much they've, how many strides they've uh, they've made. And he really does have a one-track mind, and that is to push this really this climatology, this religion of climatology for. Uh, for himself on American businesses, and then go over there and soft pedal with the Chinese Communist Party and allow them to have an advantage over the American people in so many different ways. It's hypocritical. Right. And, and to finally get him in front of you, he wouldn't actually reveal his staff either. He goes, I got my two aides, but I'm not telling you everybody else. Really? You're not telling us? Oh, I know. I, I, it was ridiculous. He, he said, you know, we've got this process at, at the State Department, and, and we, we'll talk, talk about that through that process. But this is the process. He was before us under oath to answer those questions. He wants to hide what the real mission is, who's working behind it, uh, what the scope of authority is that he has as the as effectively the czar, this uh, special envoy on behalf of the president. He reports directly to the president. He wouldn't give us hardly any information yesterday because he wants to hide it from the American people. What I also thought astounding, do you know his lifestyle? You know he's got a yacht and you know he's got a plane. So when he wants to relax, he goes on both those places to think about different ways and his policies, intentional. And I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he doesn't really think it through. He only thinks about what he considers the ozone layer, which, by the way, is thickening and emissions have never been lower. But I don't want to digress. So having said that, he does he know what he's doing is hurting the average American in the prices of oil and gas, does he know that the, the, the exchange of this is national security? Does that sink into him? He knows it. He won't admit it. And he doesn't care. And that's the problem is he has this one-track mind. It's his life mission effectively to have uh, the American people bend over backwards uh, to pursue this climatology agenda, despite the fact that it's killing American businesses, it's hurting American families, it's, it's really doing uh, so much harm to the growth of our economy, and it doesn't make any logical sense. And on top of that, we're using tons of slave labor out of the, the Xinjiang region of uh, using the Uyghur people in China to get the raw materials that's needed for these solar panels, and they're preferring all that. They don't care. They want to turn a blind eye to that and say, oh, we don't care because we're pursuing this climatology change. And think about this idiotic statement, Congressman Rand. I know you might have to run to vote, and our audience totally understands that. We appreciate the time you've given us. But, uh, Congressman, also understand that we are refusing to do the mining ourselves in Minneapolis and other places in, 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 in Nevada. We have the rare earth. We have the lithium. We have the cobalt. But we don't want to do it because it's not good for the environment. But it's good for, for seven-year-olds with spoons to go in the Congo and try to dig it out of their mountains and their terrain. You see it? And you, That's fantastic. Thank you He's actually, you have just a pause there. I ran in there to take one vote to the House, and now I'm back with you totally. And But, you know, I agree, Brian. It's, it's, just, it's just ridiculous how uh, how – how far the left has gone to ignore what China is doing and to bend over backwards for them in spite of the fact that it's hurting American people. I just I just right. cannot understand it. So here's the question to John Kerry about trusting China from Congressman Issa, cut 22. He told this committee that trusting China and climate change promises would be stupid and malpractice. 
uh, without directly using that quote again, would you generally agree that it still would be malpractice? I think trusting a lot of the players who've been involved in this, uh, in government and also private sector, is not the smartest thing in the world because we've been burned. So what's the point? Uh, so we've been burned before in the past because they're not doing what they said they're going to do. China has not done anything they said we're going to do on any level, even on phase one of the trade deals. Have we gotten any grain? Uh, have we gotten any grain purchases for our farmers that you know of? No. And what, what, what I talked about with him yesterday was, so how are we going to actually keep them accountable? He's like, well, you know, we're going to talk to them. Well, that doesn't, that doesn't work because we know we, we, uh, needed to verify what the Russians were telling us during the Cold War, and now we're in a we're effectively in a in a Cold War with the Chinese Communist Party. We cannot just simply trust their word that they're going to uh, do what they say they're going to do. Frankly, because they have a different agenda, their strategic objectives are not in line with the strategic objectives of the United States people and the United States economy. They want to be the world uh, dominant economic power, and that is to our detriment. And so, to simply go in hat in hand and say, okay, we're, we're going to trust you, make these promises. What we need to say to them is, you know what? We're going to quit giving your businesses advantages. We're gonna, we need to stop what's happening here in America. When you catch up, then let's talk. I want and you to, he's not going to do that. Right. Uh, you talk about his lifestyle and his own hypocrisy. Michael Waltz doesn't usually get into stuff like this, but this time he was determined to get to the bottom of this. Cut 25. In exchange with Mr. Mills, you uh, just testified under oath that you never owned a private jet. Uh, Mr. Chairman, I'd like to enter into the record uh, article here from February 15th of 2023 that the John Kerry family private jet was sold shortly after accusations of climate hypocrisy. Uh, Mr. Secretary, do you stand by that testimony Not that you've never I, owned or I personally, your family? I by your family. personally, yes. My wife owned a plane and sold the you plane. You flew That's on that been, plane? Uh, not in a number of years, and, but I have flown on it, sure. And this article is not then inaccurate, that your family owned a plane, you flew on a plane. There, my, wife owned, my wife owned here's a plane. The, here's the issue. Yeah. This isn't some kind of partisan gotcha. When we are asking Americans to make serious sacrifices as we transition for the common good, and your family and or yourself are flying around on private jets, that smacks of hypocrisy. It actually hurts your cause. He has no answer. He got angry after that. Yeah, and he was angry throughout the committee hearing because he was called repeatedly on the carpet for uh, not following that golden rule of what's good for the use is good for the gander. Uh, you know, when Mike brought that, that up, that was a line of question that I want to talk to him about as well because you, you see how careful Kerry is with his language. I didn't personally own a jet. Well, he he owned an interest in a company that had an interest in the jet. I mean, there's yeah, there's parsing of language, and that is that is how he gets by, and he's done it for years. He did it as Secretary of State and, and back as a senator, and he, he knows how to parse that language so that He's very careful about how he words things. But the truth is he had an interest in a plane, and they, they use that in a hypocritical manner all over the world, jet-setting, while they're asking the regular Americans not to do that. But they're not going to lead by example. It's just – it's insane. So this is what this administration's about. 
oil and gas, we're still going to use it. We're going to get somebody else to sell it. We're going to get somebody else to refine it to us. And then we're going to start doing all these things to make us more dependent on China. Now, over the over the weekend, over the last week, we've had revelations that our Commerce Secretary was spied on uh, in May. And we found out about it in June. They've gotten all the emails hacked. Microsoft has told us. And our Secretary of State. Yet we're still having meetings. We still sent over our Treasury Secretary. We still sent over our Treasury Secretary of State. And they're still looking to, head up, uh, to set up a meeting with the head of state. Are you okay with that? I'm not okay with that. Uh, we need more action, less talk. And this is where I'm going to have to kind of conclude our interview because I've got another vote that I'm going to have to go into. And then we're going to what, what are you voting vote for? On the, on the NDAA. We're voting on the NDAA this morning, but okay. we've got one, and they're in two minute successions. But uh, here's what I'll say about our foreign policy it always has to be strong, it has to be strategic. And, uh, and it has to be steady. And what, what the White House has not done is any one of those three by its actions. It will talk a good game, but it won't actually act in that way. The Chinese uh, surveillance balloon is a good example of that. The fact that we're not uh, protecting our own borders. Uh, we, we've got so many examples where they uh, act out of a position of weakness, not out of a position of strength. We're the United States of America. We're the greatest nation that has ever been on this earth. We need to act like it, and we need to lead with strength and steadiness and strategy instead of responding to the whims of a president who has climatology at the very top of his list on everything. Go get him, Congressman Moran. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Mr. Comey. Take you got it. Uh, meanwhile, uh, just real quick, I'm just watching the arrest now and the pictures now out of a guy in my town that is a serial murderer. I don't know. Is that going to hurt my – is that going to hurt the value of my home? Uh, well, how close do uh, you live to him? Hmm. Two miles? Yeah, so it's probably far enough. Probably far um, enough. Josh was showing me, though, the house that they got him out of on Zillow. It's listed for over six hundred grand. Yeah. It looks like a shack. It does look like a shack. I mean, the town is way overpriced. I mean, I like the town, but it's so hard to get an apartment there. You can't get an apartment there because, you know, in the back of a house or anything like usually in more towns. And number two, there's North Massapequa, there's East Massapequa, there's Massapequa Park, there's regular Massapequa, there's South America Road, Massapequa. Um, that is by Old Grammar School. Uh, it's an area, it's almost on the borderline of Farmingdale. Over Old Grammar School, it's now is a police academy, uh, which uh, Hawthorne School. So they have state streets. So state streets go up and down this town, makes it easy to find out, and then there's a little bit of a break, and then they pick up on the other side of the town. So people must be shocked. I know people in that area, some of the finest people. And this is one of those areas where you know your neighbors because all the t- all the homes are right next to each other. They're on roughly 60 by 100 or sometimes 40, sometimes 80. But you know everybody. So you have actually sidewalks. So you know if you're one of those things where you can still in today, you go, you're down the block, you feel like you know everybody because it's it's – one of these bedroom communities, I think, built around World War II, it began to really flourish, got the railroad there, and uh, a lot of weird stuff happens. Again, Joey Buttafuoco was there with Jessica Hahn up to his antics, and then you have uh, all the – you have the Cars lead, uh, lead guitarist. He was there. Brian Setzer, Stray Cats, he was there. You have um, uh, Ron Kovic, born on the 4th of July, portrayed by Tom Cruise. He was a big pro-Vietnam protester. He was paralyzed in the war. He was uh, he lived there, went to my grammar school. So a lot of weird things happened in Massapequa. This is not one of the good ones. It's not, but do you think 
Jerry Seinfeld, of, obviously from SB. Group. Obviously. The way the neighborhood set up, like we're going to be hearing from a lot of the neighbors. Like we always Absolutely. thought he was a weirdo. He was the nicest I guy. I just saw someone. I was what, between the transition. Mm-hmm. I was uh, between coming up here, watching in the elevator. We have TVs in our elevator, watching people in the neighborhood. I don't know him, but it looks like someone might meet. So it's just crazy. They've got him out of town. They had to move quickly. I was just talking to somebody with familiarity with it. They had to move quickly because they thought he might be leaving. He might be on to it. So they ended up getting him last night. Which is, I mean, they this were probably going to move in two weeks. Wow, that's crazy. And They're the, able to track him down after years, but we can't find the cocaine in the White House. Unbelievable, right? Right. And they said that they found it off his DNA off beer cans. So it matched something that they found over there. So evidently they got him. They were suspicious of him. They zeroed in on him. And then they find a way to get the DNA. So DNA is go to the person's garbage. Not bad. They did that with Idaho Killer, too. Yeah. Don't drink beer if you're going to kill people. Do a cocaine. There's so much to learn. <laughs> no, it's really, it's really bad. And a lot of these people, again, if you murder somebody that doesn't have a lot, if you're a stripper, prostitute, they don't have the, the background. There's not, like, there's not a big push by family members for the most part. Let's get answers. So that's why maybe this is part of it took so long. You know who's all over this? Dr. Michael Bodden. He was on it. We were going to go out to the Gilgo murders, but then it just went cold. They felt as though they had somebody in Suffolk, and then it went ice cold. They changed police commissioners, and everyone's like, okay, let's just wait on this. But now they got it, so we'll see what happens. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. Uh, One of our great affiliates is WABC, so they're all over the story, too. Brian Kilmeade. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everyone. I'm just thinking, uh, Josh, do you think it's time to know more? More to know. I guess I'll take that as a yes. Lionel Messi is proving that he's a man of the people ahead of his big move to enter Miami and MLS. He is now in Miami. He was spotted in a supermarket chain at Publix on Thursday buying groceries, a lot of sugary silver cereals, Loaded in the cart as he was headed for the checkout, fans stopped him to take pictures. Um, are you surprised he'd have sugary cereals? I mean, he's probably getting for his kids. He just he's, he was out with his wife and three kids. They're here in the U.S. right the first time. It's, they're probably trying all the fun stuff they wanted to. I know. I cannot wait for him to start playing. I'm not going to judge him until I see him on the field. Uh, they also got a few more players. Next, Dan Patrick blasts ESPN LeBron James for needy SP spectacle. Listen to what he's saying, because, you know, LeBron retiring and not retiring is not a story. Listen. You know what's breaking news? If he retired. Not that he's coming back. I, it, it just oh, it just is needy. And you don't need it. I want publicity. Don't forget about me. I don't want to cheat the game. Like, it just play. Just play. He's an annoying the superstar. Greatest of all time. Right? He says, I don't care how many points I score or what I can do, get on the floor. The real question for me is, can I play without cheating the game? We, like, that's what, I mean, people just, they just don't, even people would like arrogance more than this. Pandering. Yeah, yeah I know. I agree. Just always making it about him. Like, get over it. People well, want listen, to uh, he stays out of trouble. He's a good family man, fantastic parent, a little over aggressive with his kids. His kids going to USC, a lot of pressure. Next. 
Black equity director called white supremacy after speaking out about college radical agenda. This in a lawsuit. The lawsuit filed by the Foundation Against Intolerance and Racism said that the Anson Community College created a racial hostile environment for Dr. T.B. Ali and then fired her because she was wasn't being the right type of black person. Is this unbelievable? Namely, Lee did not support an extreme critical race theory agenda to decenter whiteness. How I, dare you not decenter whiteness? I know. You've heard me get very mad at other people that don't decenter whiteness. Yeah, it's one of your top issues. Right. So again, this is part of what makes me feel good. People pushing back of all races and colors against idiocy. I'm anti-idiot, and I'm going to go on the record. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Don't forget One Nation Saturday night at 8 o'clock Eastern time featuring me. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. I believe that's my cue. At least it was in rehearsal. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade here. We're going to be talking with uh, Shannon Bream, according to her people. You don't get a chance to talk to big anchors before they come on the air. They just have these layers of, um, of hangers on, uh, you know, corner men, cut men, people like that, mostly men. And then Sean uh, Sticks Larkin will be with us. He is going to be hosting a brand new show on Fox Nation. Remember Live, Live PD? It was fantastic, a big hit, but suddenly it wasn't cool to like cops. So they took it off the air, even though it was the number one syndicated show in the country. He was one of the stars of there, along with Dan Abrams, who does a great job and created it. Uh, now he's host of Crime Cam 24-7 on Fox Nation. He's retired Tulsa Police uh, Lieutenant and KRMG listeners. You probably know him well. So uh, let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. We don't own a private jet. I don't own a private jet. I personally have never owned a private jet. And obviously, it's pretty stupid to talk about coming in a private jet from the State Department up here. Just honestly, if that's where you want to go, go there. Well, you just got back from China. How'd you get back? Green ruse revealed. Climate czar John Kerry loses his mind when called out for his hypocrisy and more as and more as we examine the terrible politician he is and the misled mission he has. Number two. That guy is doing better in this space than and almost and, than any of us yeah. around this table could do with this. At, at, yeah, on top of that, the, the economic news of this week and inflation, that's a, that's a pretty good double. Win, win, Biden. win, Jen. And I'm looking like what he is, a statesman on the world stage. Right, yes. Mika really watching his back. 2024, Joe has done any, has not done anything to make his party think he could actually run and win a re-election, despite what you just heard from MSNBC. And the earth might be shifting under his uneasy feet as DeSantis backers got, get restless and Trump gains steam and Senator Tim Scott makes gains. Number one. Every time we see something at the White House that has happened that's unsavory or perhaps corrupt or illegal, uh, the White House always seems to lie about it and try to cover it up. And no one ever gets caught. The most uh, trained law enforcement uh, security agents on the planet can't figure this out. It's very frustrating. Well, that was quick. Cocaine found at the White House in 10 days. It's a cold case. Can't break it. Impossible to find out. More Biden family protection? You bet. We did learn something new, that this is the third illegal drug find at the White House under Biden. Nice. We compare that to the Hunter investigation. A lot of rumors, a lot of, but no culprits. 
And that's where we begin with Shannon Bream. She's the anchor of Fox News Sunday, Fox News chief legal analyst and author of the uh, book, The Love Stories of the Bible Speak. Uh, I need you to speak now, Shannon. Your thoughts about not knowing where the cocaine is. I mean, I don't know how we wrap something up in 10 days and we're just done and we're never going to get an answer. I mean, I think to most average Americans out there, they think it's pretty dang shady. Um, We talked about this. You don't just walk into the White House. It is very controlled. We do know or we should know. Who is going in and out? Who is leaving? Who has access? Um, you know, some over on the Hill are like, okay, if it's 500 people, then drug test all of them. I mean, I don't know if that's going to work. You know, we're a couple of weeks into this now. But the fact is, um, you know, there is a limited universe of people who were able to be in that area. And, um, you know, you've heard the White House suggest, oh, there's construction in the area, so people wouldn't have been in the situation where I'm like, are they blaming the construction workers? I don't know, but we should want to get answers. And we should want to know, because what if that was a bag of something else, of something deadly, whatever? Certainly, we would backtrack the path for how that baggie got in there. I mean, I can't imagine if it was something really destructive that we would be like, oh, 10 days, can't figure it out, not enough DNA, the end. So so a couple of things that people should know that have been to the White House. So people say, well, there's cameras everywhere. Ari Fleischer and others said, there's no cameras everywhere. But there's cameras at the entrance. That's true, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, there are definitely... You know, there are definitely eyeballs that are keeping track of things. So uh, there's if there's and there's cubbies there with keys. This one was the only one with the key missing. I mean, the thing is, we and and what they said about the investigation is they went several days, you know, around this time frame to find out what it was. So it's not like, hey, we looked on Sunday morning. There was nothing in the cubby. Then Sunday night we found it in the cubby. I mean, there could be days and different people involved in this. Um, But. Again, if it was something deadly, I can't imagine after 10 days to be like, oh, sorry, we don't know who brought the anthrax. We'd figure it out. Here's Byron Donald's cut four. There's a lot of things that are happening in there I'm not totally aware of. But one thing that makes it tough to discuss this is that you are talking about some of the security protocols uh, at the White House. So it makes it difficult to really talk about this publicly. But to me, the thing that's lost on me is with all the surveillance that we have at our capability, we don't know who left a dime bag of cocaine in the White House. Like, or we can't even like narrow it down. That's the most frustrating thing overall. The Secret Service is charged with securing this facility. And so that's why I think for it to essentially be dropped off, because you're not talking about anything that has destructive capability, then that I think they're looking at it's outside their purview now. So and, and he's frustrated by it, too. And they and they, they just flabbergasted. They just said this comes to an end. I, I don't know if it was my White House and I found that there and I know it wasn't mine. I'd be outraged. I, I would say we've right. got to save protocols. I, I wouldn't take the blame, especially if it's not mine. Right. And that's the thing. Wouldn't you want a name, even if it's a staffer, even if it's a high profile person, whatever, you want to be able to the White House to say, like, I'm sorry, it's X, Y, Z person. Because otherwise, people will just endlessly speculate about how this wrapped up so quickly and why we don't have a name. It's in the White House's interest to get us a name. It really is. So their unwillingness to do so or or seeming disinterested in doing that just raises more questions. And then we're told also, oh, by the way, the Secret Service found pot there twice last year, too. So, you know, people who, you know, run their homes this way would probably not be able to get away with it. Right. Uh, So – by the way, I heard Hunter Biden had a drug problem, and I believe cocaine, not good enough. They had to weaponize it, which is make it crack. Uh, so he was using it. We got it on video. Now that I know the email's real, I didn't know because I thought it was classic Russian disinformation for a long time, as you know. 
I was um, so mm-hmm. now that we know that's real. So that could bring one put one on one to one on one equals two together. But we know that the lawyers for Hunter Biden get this. The lawyers for Hunter Biden have warned Truth Social owner Donald Trump to stop accusing their client because it could make their uh, put their lives in jeopardy. So I think that we should stop criticizing Donald Trump, too. So if let's do a cease and desist on all criticisms of both men. Do you think I can get them to agree to that? Um, I do not think you can get an agreement. Listen, you're good. I don't know if you're that good. If you are, we're going to send you over to sit down with Putin and Zelensky and get that thing under control. I mean, if you're that level of master negotiator, possibly. But the thing is, listen, the former president knows when he throws these things out there, you got to be careful. Nobody has any idea if Hunter was anywhere near this stuff. I mean, you've got people out there saying, like, well, of course, that, you know, he's at the White House. We think he's there a lot. So that's going to be a question. Again, that's why I think it would help the White House to say, no, it was actually, you know, John Doe. It's this other person. Um, But, of course, the former president is never going to be able to resist, um, you know, taking shots at the Biden family because I think he rightfully argues if it was his family in the spotlight and many times was, the press sometimes seem to have a different set of roles with his kids. So Hunter Biden doing international business deals and they're getting closer and closer to finding out who in the Bidens benefited from it. Can you say, Joe, uh, here's Miranda Devine. This plays into the whole cocaine and cover up. Cut eight. When Patrick Ho was rounded up by the Southern District of New York, arrested and charged and then convicted on bribery allegations during his trial, the very same prosecutor, Dan Rickenthal, he uh, asked the judge to not uh, to, to basically redact the Biden name from the mm. evidence before uh, the jury. And he said there was no, just no point having it. And this was one of the reasons that Gal Luft says that he felt... He would not get a fair trial in New York. Because it was a joke. What's your thoughts about that? Was it, were you hearing that for the first time? Um, yes. And listen, Miranda, I can listen to her all day because of the accent alone. Um, but she's been digging on the story for a long, long time. Again, during the time period, we were told there's nothing there. But remember, although there were a lot of questions like, oh, this is Russian disinformation, when people were asked point blank, are these hunters emails? Because remember, Tony Bogolinsky and other people who were parties to those emails saying they're legit, we never got the blanket, oh, these definitely aren't any of his emails. I mean, we couldn't get that from the White House. So not surprising that Miranda and others would continue to unravel threads. I mean, she has been at the forefront of this and has raised some very interesting questions that I think need to be answered. So uh, 2024 is here, and we see this story on CNN. A growing number of top Democrats and donors are reaching out to potential replacements for Joe Biden. As a nominee, several aides of top Democrats have allegedly told the outlet that the lack of more robust campaign activity than the current president has displayed isn't actually running against, despite the fact he's not running against anybody, despite the insistence that he is. As a result, they are keeping their options open. Democrats within Biden's circle claim, however, that this is just a bit of an underestimating Joe Biden. And he won 2020 the same way. And we say all of a sudden this New York Times story comes out that he raised $72 million. Mm-hmm. But there's also a senior producer over at that uh, rival network said the conversation keeps happening. Quiet whispers on the sidelines of events, of text, emails, and, uh, and phone calls. Top donors are reaching out to other people. What have you heard? You live in Washington or in a, right. you work in Washington, living in around there. 
Yeah, and it's a tricky thing because if they're seen as going around the vice president, Kamala Harris, how do Democrats deal with that? Because she is a history maker, and they've made a lot about the fact that she's the first you know, female and African-American, and it's very special and important. Um, but, you know, our polling all shows, not just ours, but, I mean, everywhere shows that she has worse ratings than the president does. So if they're unsure that he's going to be able to stick it out and be on the top of the ticket, and they're, they're throwing her overboard with this, too, because if you're talking to the Newsoms and to the other, you know, Pritzkers and other people out there, um, there's very much a sense that there's dissatisfaction. We know that. The polling shows us that people don't want President Biden, even within his own party, to run again. Um, but if there aren't debates or anything else, um, you know, these people want a backup plan. A lot of these donors. Let's go to the GOP side where we understand uh, DeSantis might be, and they denied it since, losing a key backer. Uh, he has paused his support for DeSantis because he feels as though uh, he's getting impatient. They're not seeing any movement. I'm talking about Ken Griffin, a Miami-based hedge mm-hmm. fund. Uh, he runs Citadel. He's frustrated with DeSantis' lack of progress. And now DeSantis, reportedly, his camp is shifting strategy. They said that they're going to start putting DeSantis been weighing a shift in strategy, allowing him to do multiple sources of his interviews and go into more hostile platforms. I think that would be a great move because I think one of his assets is his intellect, his knowledge, and his ability to spar, I think that would be a good move. Yeah, a lot of people do, because look at somebody like Vivek Ramaswamy, who came out of nowhere. I mean, he is a political outsider, newcomer, 37-year-old guy. But from the beginning, when he got in and people were like, who? They can pronounce his name. They didn't know who he was. You know, he has been willing to engage with any and every media outlet. They show up and put a camera in his face at CPAC. He's like, great, let's stop and have a chat. I mean, he's willing to engage with people. Um, and, and look at him, 8 to 10% in some of these polls out of coming from zero name recognition three or four months ago. And I think, you know, those are the kinds of things that the DeSantis people are looking at. He's very controlled, as you know, a lot of times when it comes to media, and he was very early on. He's opening up a bit more, but I think they realize if he's really good at this, and you've seen him in some of his press conferences, especially during COVID, where he had to bat down things that were being said about him and his right. policies that weren't true, he's actually good in that scenario. So it confuses some people as to why he hasn't been Mm -hmm. out there doing that more. And they say, listen, we're staying all in on these early states. There's got to be an upset in there somewhere in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, to show you actually Mm -hmm. have the ability to beat President Trump or it's over. So they're focusing there on the early states and trying to reassure donors and backers that they're in it for the long haul. Right. Uh, Shannon, our mutual shows are hurting both our mutual relationships. Do you want to know how? Why is that? Because I don't go to brunch anymore because your show is on in the morning. And then I want to watch the replay at 2 p.m. on Fox. And then you don't go out on Saturday night because you're watching my show at 8, One Nation. So that's aggravating your husband. But it's perfect timing for me because i got to go to bed right after that anyway. It's like my final bit of show prep, but my alarm's going off at 4, which I know is like sleeping in for you. Um, So right after your show, I just tuck myself right in with a hot cup of cocoa, and it's lights out. Not that your show gives me lights out, but I feel fully prepared after your show. So can you give me an idea of what I'm going to be watching on Sunday? Yes, you are going to be watching Senator Tom Cotton, and we're going to talk about all kinds of things, including the fact that, you know, they're fighting over the defense spending that just passed the House version of this bill, but it's got all kinds of things in it that send the Democrats say there's no way we're ever voting for that on abortion and, you know, woke policies and all these different kinds of things. 
So we'll talk about that. I want to talk to him more, too, about the Ray um, testimony this week. Weiss, is he going to come testify on the Hill? And um, we are negotiating with the White House for someone special that I hope we will be able to announce right away. It is not President Biden. I will tell you it is, you know, step below, but right. we're working on it. I'm uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, Bill Hemmer, and Dana Perino are doing the co-host quiz, which is phenomenal. Oh, awesome. I'm going to have Griff Jenkins in studio. I think he's he's going to dress in his wetsuit that he used to surf. Uh, I thought that was an interesting choice. Yeah. And Jesse Waters is going to talk about his new show, uh, and that's going to be key. Now, question for you. I know you love The Bachelor and Bachelorette. Will you be watching (laughs) the golden version of these, the the aging Bachelor? Ooh. Is that really a thing? I got to get up with a killer. Allison, it's a really, it's a real thing, right? Yeah, I, I was reading okay. that too. It's a real thing. Would you um, watch someone date over sixty? Oh yeah, I mean, 70? I think it's beautiful. Whenever somebody finds love, why not? Yeah, if it's you know, if it's engaging and sweet and cute. Now, like if there are a bunch of you know floozies, that's why I stopped watching The Bachelor and Bachelorette because not all of them are, but a big percentage are not there. Quote Brian for the right reasons, as you know. <laughs> They're not doing reality shows for the right reasons. It's a scandal, Shannon. we got to get to the I bottom of this. the older people to have better judgment and to be there to truly right. find love. Yeah, I don't want to be put on. I want to know that they're looking for someone special. Uh, we'll get yeah. to the bottom of that. Shannon Bream, thanks so much. We're going to be watching Fox News Sunday. But I'm going to be watching you first on Saturday. That's all we need. Back in a moment. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. This is Bill Clinton-level word parsing, what you just saw there today. Now, keep in mind, John Kerry, when he was confronted publicly last time, was in Iceland, when he was there, flew on a private jet to Iceland to pick up an environmental award. And he gave the original defense the equivalent of, do you know who I am? I'm so important. I have to fly a private jet. I'm doing, I'm trying to save the climate. Like he doesn't have time to be with the masses on an airplane. Well, what he did today was he said, I don't own a private jet. And we don't own one, meaning his wife owned one until last year. And now he says he's only been on one flight. That goes with a lot of contradictory evidence. There's evidence that shows since, he, since the Biden administration started, he's been on several dozen private jet flights. So that is pretty substantial. That is uh, ClimateDepot.com founder and publisher Mark Morano talking about the arrogance and hypocrisy that John Kerry put on display yesterday. And if you did it, he gets all arrogant. He goes, why are you asking me about private flights? I came from the State Department. We're not talking about that. We're talking about the flight over to China. We're talking about the one over to Europe. We're talking about going to Davos. And you'd sit there and want people to sacrifice. I personally think you came from money. You married into the Heinz fortune. You have a yacht. You made your wife sell her plane. I don't believe you're on JetBlue. Go live your best life. You know, you're 100 years old already. But if you're going to go out and try to change our lifestyle, you have to live the lifestyle you're jamming down our throats. Gas is more, diesel's more, because you want to make that transition. You don't want us to buy. You don't want us to drill. You don't want any pipelines. You want to go up to other countries and make them do the same thing with absolutely no enforcement. At the same time, going out in a yacht on every vacation and flying there to begin with kind of bothers me a little. What about you?
Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hi, right, Sean Sticks Larkin, Larson uh, Larkin, I should say, is the host of a brand new show, Crime Cam, 24-7 on Fox Nation. As you know, you probably saw him from Live PD, retired Tulsa Police uh, Lieutenant. People on KRMG probably know you, listen to you over, uh, watch you over and do your job over in Tulsa. Uh, Sean, welcome. Hey, pleasure being here. And Thank welcome so to the Fox family. Yes, yeah, it's a right. pleasure. Happy to be here for sure. So tell me what we're going to be seeing with, uh, and you said it debuted last Friday, yeah. uh, with uh, Crime Cam 24-7. Yeah, Crime Cam 24-7, uh, just as you mentioned, it debuted last Friday at 6 o'clock Eastern. Um, basically, there are 85 million surveillance cameras out there. So if these things are running 24 hours a day, you've got over 2 billion hours of footage a day being recorded somewhere. And the show has basically taken incidents of crime that have been captured on video, everything from surveillance cameras, ring doorbells, cell phones, uh, body cameras from police officers, dash cams, and so forth. And we are showing some of the wildest things that have happened out there. You're going to see heroic actions by police officers. You're going to see citizens that stand up for themselves, for their rights, protect their homes, and so forth, and citizens that stand up for one another all captured on tape. So how do you know what to pick, where to, where to find this stuff? I mean, who's going through it? You know, uh, I, I hope that the poor production crew that's working on this thing isn't sifting through 2 billion hours a day. Um, you know, listen, we, we actually have a link where viewers themselves can send things in if they're aware of something that's out there. Uh, obviously, between social media, um, YouTube, news clips, things like this, stuff that starts circulating around and grabs the attention of anybody working on this show, we're going to take a look at it. Right. So, and we'll see that. Uh, you guys, you kind of burst on the scene. You never meant to be a TV guy, right? Absolutely not. No, listen, I, I was a, uh, I was an athlete in high school. I wasn't the guy doing drama or, you know, I don't have any acting or singing skills, anything of that sort. Uh, just an absolute fluke deal. Um, I became a police officer when I was 23 years old there in Tulsa. And at the time, I was supervising our gang unit. Um, a law enforcement-related email had come through that, hey, this production company is looking to do a television show, and uh, which was then Live PD. Tulsa was one of the first departments that was a part of it, so we were on it from episode one on a Friday night for two hours. And they rode along with us in our gang unit, and the show built up. It went to three hours on Friday night. Then it went to a Friday and a Saturday night for three hours. Each agency has a contract to be on for a certain length of, length of time. Our contract was up in Tulsa, and the, the producers had invited me to come be a guest on set uh, you know, in New York back in, I think, January of 2017. Fluke deal just happened to work out, and you know now I'm sitting here doing a radio show. And you're doing you. real commentary on real crimes as they took place, and law enforcement, right? That's correct. Yeah, both on Live PD as well as On Patrol Live, um, which is another show that's out there doing live police work. And you know they're with eight different police departments around the country, and we, um, you know, just kind of give that that analysis of why the officers are doing what they're doing and break down policies. Here's Sean Larkin uh, talking to a store owner. This is on twenty four seven, cut thirty two. When the gunman steps inside, he points his rifle directly at 80-year-old Craig Cope. Without hesitation, Cope grabs a weapon of his own, a 12-gauge shotgun, and takes aim. From the doorway, the gunman's accomplice gives a warning. Shotgun. But it's way too late. The muzzle blast from Cope's shotgun sends papers flying and a hail of buckshot into the intruder's left arm.
Wow. So that's a lot going on there. It's, it is. It's just as I mentioned right yeah. there. These are citizens that are fighting back against some of these criminals that are out there. And these were a group of guys that had come in and do an armed robbery with an elderly gentleman. If I remember correctly, he was around 70 years old working in a convenience store by himself. Suspect comes in with an AR-15. The guy fights back using a shotgun and shoots the suspect. And that's the type of thing we'll be seeing. How long would this be? 90-minute shows? Uh, they're 30-minute episodes um, premiering every single Friday night right now. We've got 12 in the bag. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed the viewers enjoy them, and we'll bring them a lot more, I promise. Do you miss being out on the street? I, You know, I do. I retired two years ago, just under 25 years, uh, you know, on the job. Um, listen, one of my buddies, he, he sent me a message that's on the police department. He's he, he's on duty right now actually listening to us. So hello to Eric. Right. Uh, I miss the guys. That's what I miss. I miss chasing bad guys, um, you know, getting those guys that are responsible in custody. But the job has changed a lot. I'm happy that I've done it. I would do it again. Uh, but I'm enjoying retirement right what now as well. What part of it do you would you find the hardest to deal with now if you were to put the uniform on? Um, when I first came on, didn't matter if it was out on the street or in court, the police officer was kind of taken at his word. Um, and now it's the exact opposite. We have to fight from the very beginning of the traffic stop all the way up through a, you know your time in the courtroom that you're not the bad guy, that you're the person that's out here doing things right because you know the fingers are pointed at us now. You saw the thing with Danny Penny in the subway? Yes. So you have a 24-year-old ex-Marine, just wants to go to night school, go to part-time, and he sees something goes wrong. And like maybe you might say to yourself, I'm not in the cop anymore, but I got to help people. He did. I I know people that know him. Mm -hmm. He's a great guy. You're not going to find anything in his background. So the guy ends up dying. And now they're going for murder, too, on him. You know, and, you know, I like to think that that situation, uh, you know, would be different maybe in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Um, but I, I'm, I'm just going to give the generic answer. That's what court is for. And hopefully with his defense team getting in front of a jury that understands, hey, you can't expect citizens to just sit back and not step up to help out when needed, which it sounds like is exactly what he did there. Can't, cops can't be everywhere, especially in a subway. Uh, absolutely not. You know, listen, the, the, the problems in the subway system here in New York City are well documented. You, you, the whole, a lot of the stuff is the bad guys aren't in jail. They find out the same people doing the same things over and over again. People say, well, you have a big heart. You've got to stop locking people up. What's your reaction to that? No, it, it's crazy. You know, the studies that, uh, you know, some of these departments across the country that have their soft on crime policies, everything from not enforcing misdemeanor drug laws um, to letting violent criminals out. And, and as I said, I was with the gang unit for the, the majority of my career at the end there and what we call the crime gun unit. We're going after the worst of the worst. We're going after the ones when people turn the news on in the morning when they wake up and they see a shooting that happened overnight, a homicide that happened overnight, a robbery that happened overnight. Those are the guys that we're going after. Guess what? That's not the first time these guys are doing these type of crimes. So those smaller drug crimes that we can get guys in custody for, the assaults, the the possession of a firearm that they can just bond out, you know, with 500 bucks, you know, for a felon with a firearm, that's ridiculous. That's the problem. We keep dealing with these same small percentage of violent individuals over and over again because the courts let them back out. Do you think that um, live PD would be on right now if it wasn't with the George Floyd riots? Absolutely. And they just took it the number one syndicated show in the country down and because they thought America didn't want to, like, see cops anymore? No. I, you know what? I, I One of the things I learned from that show being on television, no matter who I interacted with, whether I was traveling across the country, you know, back and forth between Oklahoma and New York, 
I was out in Tulsa. I was on duty in Tulsa. And listen, when I'm on duty, I'm not dealing with, you know, the, the, um, uh, I'm dealing with the criminal element. I mean, that's that, that was my job. Those guys all watched the show. The bad guys did. They talked about it. They loved it. They were disappointed it came off. And I mean that. They loved watching it. So it, it was the number one show every Friday and Saturday night, two years in a row. It was the number one DVR television show out of all of television. Uh, I imagine the show financially did very well for that network. Um, but there was one reason only that it was pulled off, and in my personal opinion, transparency is what everybody says they want when it comes to law enforcement. You know, the people that are generally anti-police, that's what they want. They want transparency. I don't know how it can be more transparent than a live police show showing you exactly what's happening Absolutely. in real time out on the streets. Right. Uh, it was just crazy. And just next thing you know, the number one show is shelved. Do you uh, believe that things could come back to a more normalcy, that we overcorrected for some reason? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You know, I think it's still a little ways off, but I think that the tide is starting to turn. Um, One of the most difficult things that's well documented over the last year or two is the low – uh, you know, number of officers coming into this profession, the low number of people coming into the profession right now and trying to retain good police officers. Um, so I think we're going to have just a little bit of a, you know, a lull, I guess, trying to build up good experience, investigators, street cops and stuff like that until mm-hmm. that gets replaced. The numbers going through the roof in New York City. And by the way, I don't know how many seri- ser- serial killer investigations you did, but you might, I guess gangs, sometimes they mm-hmm. get in a bit of a role. Um, in Gilgo, 10 years later, they find the guy. They found beer cans, evidently, DNA, matched it up, made the move. What are your thoughts about that? Hey, technology nowadays, uh, you know, pretty much any bad guy, even going back to talking about Crime Cam 24-7, you know, so many of these things now get captured, whether it's on video, DNA, um, and, and, you know, things like ancestry now that people are getting caught because of that, because someone else in your family. Yeah, at criminals some point, aren't doing that like they used to. No, man. You know, it's it's mind-boggling. But listen, it also goes kudos to those investigators, those homicide detectives there that don't give up. Obviously, if you've got 10 cases connected to somebody, they're never going to give up on it. But every single department, especially a larger department across the country, they have cold cases. Right. And there's generally a detective or two. That's their job. They're still working on these old cases and as these type of things come available, um, you know, you hope they can solve these crimes or bring closure to those families. Sean Sticks Larkins with us, host of uh, Crime Cam 24-7 on Fox Nation. So check it out. But I got to ask you about uh, the FBI hearings. That was, I know it's political when you were the director. When you see what's in the Twitter files, when you see what the FBI was up to, you know how, many great, how much great work they are doing? Were you, what was your first reaction when you find out how they were all over Twitter and social media and forcing things to come down? Well, you know, uh, we could probably tie a whole nother episode up on my dealings with the FBI. Yeah, uh, I'm not, not good? A, not a big fan, no. Uh, we had a, a, a corruption investigation in Tulsa Police Department that went on back in 2009, 2010. Saw some things the way they operated and, uh, you know, if there was somebody in their sights, things that they could do. Um, so I myself am not a fan, nor am I surprised by some of the other stuff we're still seeing. Is it possible to clean it up? You know, it's possible, but <laughs> it starts from the top. I mean, you know, I think everything from, you know, the people you've got obviously got in the White House to new leadership, um, you know, both within the FBI, which is going to trickle down through the agents themselves and so forth. It's the same thing, I think, for any municipal police department or sheriff's department. If I found that law enforcement was even pulling for a certain party, even if I agree with that party, I'd be outraged. Like, what, what are you doing? 
because I know it could switch in a matter of a second. You can't be doing that. Yeah, I, I can tell you that out of the thousands upon thousands of car stops or what we call ped checks, I've, I've never asked anybody their political affiliation. Right. If you're right, you're right. And if you're wrong, you're wrong. Right. Bottom line. Might have a bumper sticker could that, give it away, but it that, doesn't matter. Yeah, there's a few of those out yeah. there, yeah. Well, congratulations on the show. I'm so glad you're here. It was great having you on. You were promoting the other show. And Danny Abrams does a great job. Love great vision. Uh, and he's a big fan of yours. Uh, Sean Stiggs Larkin. You can follow him at, uh, at Sean underscore C underscore Larkin. Yes, sir. All right. Uh, watch, make sure you watch Fox Nation tonight. Episode from last week is still up, and then you have this week dropping. Yes, sir. 6 right. o'clock tonight, East Coast. Back in a moment. This weekend, check out Brian's new show on Fox News Channel. His new Saturday show lets him ruin your weekends, too. Take it easy, Gutfeld. That really hurts. One Nation with Brian Kilmeade. Saturdays at 8 p.m. Eastern on Fox News Channel. More of Brian coming up. Breaking news, unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. I don't know how you can be a leader and not be completely accessible to your people. I do not believe you can be a leader and not be accessible to your people. To the extent it works, I'm okay with it. If it doesn't work, I don't mind getting rid of it either. And I'm not, we're not going to make that decision because we're pandering to employees. That is not the way to build a great company. I completely understand why someone doesn't want to commute an hour and a half every day. It's all they got it. doesn't mean they have to have a job here either. So that is my belief 100%. Jamie Dimon, who I haven't met, but I hope to. Uh, J.P. Morgan, don't agree with him in China, says he wants a broker between the nations. But I do agree with him that you got to be uh, in, this, in, in the office. You have to interact with people. You have to look at a boss and say, wow, I, this person's motivating me. This person's not. I want to be able to compare myself to my peers, go out to lunch, and then find out what else operate, you know, what else is going on in someone's life. If they're going to be dedicated to a company, they got to know the company cares about them. But there's something about being face-to-face that I think matters. And I just think that sometimes they were talking about the future in which there's not going to be any traffic because people are going to stay home and do their own thing and they'll be just as effective. And I think people were working from home and the, everyone was happy with Zoom. Got it. But when you have the opportunity to go back to work, I love the fact that people are going back to work. Uh, and, I, and I love the fact that he said, look, I know you don't want to commute an hour and a half, but maybe this is not the right place for you. And I like that answer. Because it's, it's an honor. You're supposed, you're supposed to work for somebody, in theory, that's going to benefit their company. And if you benefit their company, they'll keep you around because everyone fundamentally is selfish. How, how can that person help my team? Well, this, you know, he's a little arrogant. He shows up late all the time. But, man, he scores goals in the clutches. Or he always knows that hit a home run. Or he's very, you know, he's very good in the glove. You have an asset. You're an asset to your team, your company. And now, all of a sudden, all the players and all the employees have all the power. I think we got to get back to a better balance on that, and I think you'll get more productivity. Also, so many people say, "I don't want to work." You know, I don't. I don't like my job. I don't really enjoy it. Enjoy it because you don't feel appreciated, but you don't feel a sense of worth through it. And a lot of times, that sense of worth coming is coming from impressing your manager, impressing the vice president, impressing the president. You knew the hierarchy. Other people say, "I can't handle." Have anyone over me. I'm going to take a risk and open up my own deli, my own dry cleaner. I'm going to get my own landscaping company. I want to be my own boss and put up uh, with my own problems, but at least call my own shots. Everybody, different things, but now at least it's optional. Let's find out if there's more to know. More to know. 
All right, this transgender cyclist wins the women's race to prove they, uh, and to prove that I guess they're the best. But get this, turns around and rips other trans athletes. So this a guy's name is man. I don't know. I'm confused. Man, woman is uh, Nawa Rin, a biological male, says she felt at just the age of seven that she should be born a female. Okay, now 37, transitioned last year, and now officially recognizes the women's under South Korea law. A lifelong cyclist, she wanted to continue racing. However, Na says she does not feel to feel feel did not uh, did so not to compete with herself. She wanted the euphoric feeling of victory, but not to prove a point. She said she comes from a Christian family, faced uh, negative comments about her transition, but little did she know that what she did has been planning for upwards of two years. She wanted to race against women to show that the biological men are physically superior to biological women. So how does that help? So now you know that. Uh, bad example. Next. Nearly one in ten U.S. children have been diagnosed with some developmental disorder. Uh, kids as ages 3 to 17 are diagnosed with any developmental disability. Um, uh, the kids age, so in 2007, 7.4% had disability. In 2021, 8.5%, and it's growing. You think this is pandemic-related, Alice? I think it's probably pandemic, but also I think just you're able to diagnose more. More people are having their kids diagnosed, and I feel like back in the day when someone was just like slightly socially awkward, now they're on the spectrum. Next, a strike in Hollywood. Actors joins writers in strike, bringing Hollywood to a standstill. All right, they might have some legitimate concerns. Maybe they don't. So far, they say the first time in 43 years, bringing the $134 billion American movie and television business to a halt, the actors are now striking. My feeling is exact wrong time. For two years, you couldn't work. Now no one's going to the movies anymore. And now you're going to tell people we're not making anything, making people stay away from the movies again, maybe forever. Bad timing. Big time. If you ask me. Brian Kilmeade Show. Make sure you watch One Nation Saturday, 8 o'clock Eastern Time on the Fox News Channel. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Janice Dean, Fox News Senior Meteorologist. Be sure to subscribe to the Janice Dean Podcast at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And don't forget to spread the sunshine. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.